Hi, I'm Erica Pandy. I'm the host of this season of How It Happened. As a business reporter at Axios, I focused on technology and the future. And every rabbit hole I've gone down, in some way, leads to one person. Elon Musk. I'd first like to share with you my vision for the future. I believe in a renewable energy future. I believe that humanity must become a multi-planetary, space-bearing civilization. Those seem like exciting goals, don't they? He's bold in what he does and in how he talks about it. And he's always giving his elevator pitch. That speech you just heard wasn't from a board meeting at one of his companies, like Tesla or SpaceX, or in a pitch meeting to rally investors. He said that on Saturday Night Live last year. He has cultural significance. He's cited as inspiration for the modern Iron Man movies. He disrupted the commercial space industry and the automotive industry simultaneously. He's a crucial employer in the U.S. Across his companies, including SpaceX, Tesla, Neuralink, and Boring, he employs more than 100,000 people. He's the world's richest man and the most talked-about billionaire. He has so much money and power and influence and audacity and nerve that his vision of the future might soon just be known as the future. In April, Musk's meteoric rise collided with the trajectory of another Silicon Valley success story, Twitter. The world's richest guy is set to buy one of the world's most influential social media companies. Twitter was founded in 2006 and has become the global public square. It also became the platform of choice for Elon Musk, someone who gets involved in things he cares about. He set his sights on reshaping Twitter and made an offer to buy the platform for an eye-popping $44 billion, announced in a tweet. But then he backtracked. What else do we know about Musk's reversal here? We know that this is setting up a massive legal battle. A trial between Twitter and Musk looms. It matters because if Musk loses and he's forced to buy Twitter, he could become the arbiter of free speech on a social media platform with hundreds of millions of global users. But Twitter's power isn't in how many users it has. It's in how powerful its users are. Heads of state, CEOs, celebrities all use the platform. A lot of power brokering happens on Twitter. So you can see how if Musk controls Twitter, his ability to make world-changing decisions will continue to mount. That's why it's important to understand Musk. How did he become this genius billionaire figure? Why does it seem like his influence is inescapable? In this first episode, you'll hear who Musk is, in his own words over the years, and through exclusive interviews with people who have been close to him since his earliest ventures. From Axios, this is how it happened. Elon Musk versus Twitter. Part one, not a chill normal dude. We've seen plenty of tech titans rise, but we haven't seen an Elon Musk before. Elon Musk changes society more than any other business person in America. Dan Primack, Axios business editor, has covered Elon Musk for over 20 years. Primack covered the rise of PayPal in the early 2000s, where Musk was an early CEO. 
Most successful tech entrepreneurs do one thing and do it very, very well. Elon has gone into multiple industries which have very little to do with one another. Online payments, space travel, electric vehicles, and not just succeeded for his own companies, has literally changed the industries for its rivals. This is the thing with Elon Musk. Whatever you think you know about his accomplishments, there was always something else he was working on at the same time. And so we're going to break down how he built his cross-industry empire. We reached out to Elon Musk directly, as well as his companies, Tesla, SpaceX, Boring, and Neuralink. Musk declined to comment for this podcast. His companies did not respond. Musk's journey to PayPal was extraordinary. He grew up in South Africa, and he was obsessed with science fiction. He wrote a computer game at age 12 in 1984. He's spoken about being bullied as a child. And in a 2021 SNL appearance, he self-identified as being on the autism spectrum. I'm actually making history tonight as the first person with Asperger's to host SNL. (laughs) Or at least the first to admit it. (laughs) So we'll make a lot of eye contact with the cast tonight. But don't worry, I'm pretty good at running human in emulation mode. (laughs) He ended up in Canada for college, but transferred to UPenn, which brought him to the U.S. He quickly became a poster child for the American dream, ambitious and incredibly hardworking. Then at the dawn of the modern internet, he built a publishing platform, sold that, then jumped into online payments with X.com. That merged with another company to become PayPal in 2000. He talked about why he bet on payments in a 1999 CNN documentary. I think X.com could absolutely be a a multi-billion dollar bonanza. Because if you look at the industry that X is pursuing, it's the biggest sector of the world economy. Is that a McLaren F1? He wanted to bring banking online, which was not just revolutionary from a consumer standpoint. Banking is one of the most heavily regulated industries in the world. And the idea that you would go into that is stunning. And you've seen him do this again, kind of when it comes to transportation and when it comes to space travel. He is unequivocally considered a visionary. I mean, he is seen as a genius in the space industry. Miriam Kramer is the space reporter for Axios. Elon Musk made his money through PayPal, and then his money funded SpaceX. He came in and disrupted everything about the way that the old guard was doing it. I mean, companies like Boeing, companies like Lockheed Martin were sort of sitting pretty in this world of just government money and huge contracts that just continued to inflate and inflate. And SpaceX came in and undercut everything. SpaceX cut costs in manufacturing and delivering cargo to space. But that isn't what drives the company. Musk's big vision for SpaceX is even more ambitious. Musk has this vision of making humans a multi-planetary species. What that means is effectively SpaceX wants to bring a lot of people to Mars, like the red planet Mars. And it motivates everything that they do, including their current projects. This all might sound a little out there, but SpaceX is known for doing things that are kind of out there. SpaceX brought the cost of launch down to a fraction of what it had been because of their gains in reusable rocket technology. Satellites have been used for telecommunications for decades, but there are still dead zones all over the world. But SpaceX built out a satellite company, Starlink, 
that's right now closing connectivity gaps all over the planet, and it's been a crucial network for the Ukrainian military in the war against Russia. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said he spoke with SpaceX CEO Elon Musk on Saturday, confirming that next week Ukraine would receive more Starlink satellite internet terminals. Ukrainian government tells me it's been very helpful. So if you'll have time after the war, you're very welcome. I invite you. SpaceX couldn't have become this game changer without NASA. Former Deputy NASA Administrator Lori Garver was instrumental in SpaceX securing early NASA contracts. Those were a huge deal because they established SpaceX as one of the top partners to NASA's space program. And Garver says that while this partnership made Musk billions, it also saved billions for American taxpayers. And it did something else for our economy. The U.S. had lost the entire market share of commercial satellite launches to the Chinese, the Russians, and the French. That has been completely turned around by SpaceX now in 2020. The U.S. was the leading provider of commercial space launches. That is worth billions of dollars to our economy. While Musk was doing all of this in the space industry, he was also challenging the titans of the automotive industry. He founded SpaceX in 2002, and Tesla came along the next year. Without a doubt, Elon Musk has changed the auto industry. Without him pushing the envelope, Detroit would not be moving as fast as it is today. Joanne Muller is the transportation reporter for Axios. EVs never really made sense before, and there are a bunch of reasons why. For one thing, they're expensive. They're expensive to make and to buy, and so there really wasn't a market for them among consumers. The auto industry was still so fixated on gasoline cars that even when they tried to sell a battery-powered car, it fell short, and nothing they were peddling seemed that futuristic. Here's a 2008 Chevy Volt commercial that captures this really well. A car that can go up to 40 miles before it uses any gas at all. That's an American revolution. 40 miles, that's nothing. And that was part of the problem. Consumers didn't have any place to charge EVs. They were worried about being stranded. And so that was a big hurdle. And, you know, finally, Detroit has been making cars the same way for 100 years. And they saw no reason to change until, of course, Tesla came along. Tesla's big advantage is that they were starting from scratch. They had a clean sheet of paper. They had none of that costly manufacturing baggage or gasoline engines that Detroit had. And I think that allowed them the freedom to really imagine what a car of the future would be like. These cars were sleek and they were sexy and they were high tech. They weren't like any car we'd ever seen before but they also cost a small fortune. Back in 2008, a Tesla Roadster could go for as much as $100,000. Then came the Model S, and that was truly revolutionary. It had these giant screens inside. There were hardly any buttons. And the biggest breakthrough of all is that it would get better over time with software updates. No other car could do that at the time. It was like your phone. It would just automatically update. Today, most cars depreciate in value, but Musk was envisioning a car that would be worth more over time. As Tesla became more popular, myths swirled around the car company. 
There is this misconception that Elon Musk founded Tesla. He wasn't one of the original founders when the company was first incorporated, but he did share the vision, and very soon after, he brought the money to get the company off the ground. He also began building up one of Tesla's biggest assets, which is its fan base. There were a lot of Hollywood celebrities that drove the cars. It really became a status symbol to have a Tesla. And the images of Tesla and Elon Musk kind of became intertwined starting in 2006 when he released this blog post called The Secret Tesla Motors Master Plan, subtitled Just Between You and Me. It, it really was the moment Elon Musk elbowed the other founders aside and presented himself as the inventor of Tesla. And back then, the idea of direct communication was in the air. Twitter launched that year. And his blog post, in a way, foreshadowed how he'd eventually use Twitter to communicate directly with and to rally the Tesla community. In some ways, Musk was the first CEO internet celebrity. The image he was crafting in those years and the way he used it to sell cars was a preview of the online influencer market we see today. Celebrities and CEOs became the early Tesla adopters. As Musk's star rose as the head of two futuristic companies and he got into relationships with Hollywood women, he became the ultimate Tesla influencer. He was living this aspirational lifestyle. Today, the electric vehicle industry is booming. And so is Tesla. They sold more than 900,000 vehicles last year. That's an all-time record for the company. Meanwhile, Musk bought a solar energy company, too. And Tesla now makes renewable energy chargers that can power an entire house. At a conference in Norway in August, Musk shared his two biggest goals for the year. They're still very much centered on SpaceX and Tesla, but he continues to flirt with the limits of what's possible. The two technologies I'm focused on trying to ideally get done before the end of the year are getting our Starship uh, to orbit, uh, which I think is important for expanding consciousness beyond Earth and life beyond Earth, and um, having the Tesla cars be able to do self-driving. But the new spaceship Starship and autonomous Teslas are just the beginning with Musk. He's also the co-founder of Neuralink, a brain technology company, and The Boring Company, which is working on underground transportation. This is the kind of person whose solution to every problem is to start another company. I do think he is one of the great entrepreneurs of our time and generation. He repetitively takes on super hard challenges. Reid Hoffman is a Silicon Valley titan in his own right. He co-founded LinkedIn and PayPal, and he's also a partner at Greylock, a venture capital group. He's known Musk since their PayPal days, and Hoffman later became an investor in SpaceX. Part of that is a coherent vision, a willingness to go really hard and bold, and an ability to get through kind of death-defying where you think, oh my God, this isn't going to work, and to just keep going at it. He's always been very kind of intellectually principled and driven, has a kind of a vision of what he's trying to build, a deep degree of certainty that he can do it and that he can navigate risks. 
Some things are risky, but if the, you know, if the stakes are important enough, then you take the risk. That's Musk speaking in August in Norway again. For Musk, the stakes couldn't be higher. He literally sees his companies as fighting for the survival of our species. He talked about this at the TED 2022 conference in April. I love humanity, and I think that we should fight for a good future for humanity, and I think we should be optimistic about the future and fight to make that optimistic future happen. Musk's visions aren't just abstractions. He's known as someone who wants to get his hands dirty. He has an absurd number of job titles. That includes co-founder many times over, but also chief engineer at SpaceX and product architect at Tesla. He's extraordinarily demanding. He's very hands-on. He hates this kind of gospel of inertia. Dan Primack. In general, it is Elon looking at something or an industry that hasn't changed very much and kind of just looking and saying, why not? He refuses to listen to the conventional wisdom about why certain things can't be done. Musk in Norway again. Sometimes people call me like a businessman. I guess I have to do business. You have to have a group of people because I can't just do this in a garage by myself. Um, but I'm fundamentally an engineer or technologist. That's what Musk wants to clarify about himself. And here's what his friend Reid Hoffman thinks people miss about him. While he is intense and focused on the vision, the, the quest that he is on, they kind of frequently mistake the sense of almost self-deprecating humor. I reinvented electric cars and I'm sending people to Mars in a rocket ship. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think I was also going to be a chill, normal dude? <laughs> we'll be right back. We're back. You just heard how Musk is a tech titan unlike any other. But he's not just a singular leader in the way he's approached business. Musk is also unconventional in how he communicates. Unfiltered, direct, and publicly on Twitter. In May, Musk went on the All In podcast. It's hosted by a group of his buddies in Silicon Valley, other entrepreneurs he's crossed paths with. They called the episode, quote, Bestie Guestie. My pal <laughs> and your favorite CEO and Twitterer, Mr. Elon Musk. How you doing, pal? Nick. Musk talked about his Twitter use. I have the, uh, the honor uh, of having the most liked tweet of any living human. Um, this, <laughs> this is... <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for liking my tweet. Uh, <laughs> Musk is a Twitter power user. He has more than 105 million followers. He tweets about the things he believes in. My colleague Zach Basu is reading Musk's tweets. Listeners may find some of this material offensive. Self-driving electric cars will be all that matters. Gas car without autonomy will be like riding a horse and using a flip phone. That still happens, but it's niche. At times, Musk plays the role of thought leader CEO, spreading positive vibes. From time to time, I will share some things that seem to be working for me in case you find it helpful. Please share some things in this thread which are working for you in life and that others may find helpful. In those moments, he seems earnest, vulnerable, relatable. On advice of a good friend, I've been fasting periodically and feel healthier. 
I mean, who among us has not taken dietary advice from a friend? But overall, his tweets are unlike those of any other CEO in America right now. And it's not because he's so unguarded. It's in part because he's a curator of memes that you would find on 4chan or Reddit. There are a lot of dirty jokes that you would never expect to see on a CEO's blue checkmarked account. Here's an example from 2011. Sew one button doesn't make you a tailor. Cook one meal doesn't make you a chef. But f- one horse and you are a horse f- for all of history. Musk didn't tweet that in 2011 on a whim and delete it in shame. He didn't tweet it in 2011 and forget about it and accidentally leave it up in perpetuity to be discovered by some other person. Elon Musk tweeted that in 2011 And then he resurfaced the tweet eight years later in 2019 by replying to the original tweet. I was always crazy on Twitter, FYI. Here's another pair of pretty un-CEO tweets from Musk. I'm thinking of starting New University, Texas Institute of Technology and Science. Texas Institute of Technology and Science. That's tits. It will have epic merch. He talks about his own sex life on Twitter. Which, forget CEOs, even most laypeople don't do. During a recent news cycle in which the Wall Street Journal reported that Musk had an affair with a friend's wife, he denied the affair repeatedly on Twitter. And then tweeted this. Haven't even had sex in ages. Sigh. And sometimes the richest man in the world is just plain insensitive. In the midst of a global economic crisis and massive inflation in the U.S., he didn't go thought leader CEO. He tweeted a meme that reads, Have you tried turning the economy off and then turning it back on again? Musk is aware of how problematic his Twitter can be, and he laughs at himself on SNL. I also write things like, 69 days after 420, again, (laughs) haha. I don't know, I thought it was funny. That's why I wrote haha at the end. So 69 is a sex joke and 420 is a weed reference. But some of his jokes can translate to real-world harm, adding to a climate of intolerance, for example. He's mocked people who list their gender pronouns, alarming transgender rights advocates. Scott Rosenberg, managing editor for technology at Axios, has covered Musk for decades. You're telling the group of people, and in Elon Musk's case, it's 100 million people, here's what I think of this other group of people. I think that I'm going to make fun of them, and it's okay for you to make fun of them, too. And that kind of depersonalization, dehumanization, is the first step down the road to much graver and real harms. One of Musk's children identifies as trans and has completely cut ties with him. To date, Musk has been urged to apologize for these comments by organizations including the Human Rights Campaign. He's defended himself on Twitter, characterizing his comments as specifically critical of pronoun references. He's also picked fights with individuals who have far less power and influence than he has, and that can escalate quickly. Things got particularly ugly when Missy Cummings, a transportation safety expert, was announced as a hire by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA. A Twitter user flagged her appointment, and Musk replied on Twitter. Objectively, her track record is extremely biased against Tesla. Cummings had scrutinized Tesla in the past, But her specialty was in evaluating autopilot software for aviation and vehicles. So that wasn't all that surprising. And Teslas that are on quote-unquote autopilot mode have been involved in fatal accidents. 
But Tesla superfans threatened violence and circulated a petition asking President Biden himself to reconsider the hire. One Tesla superfan with a YouTube channel called, quote, Dr. Know-It-All Knows-It-All made a 13-minute video to explain why he thought Cummings' hire was terrible. So I want to talk about what's going on with this particular appointment, why I'm so pissed off, and also what I think the underlying reasons are and why this is actually a big deal. I think it could be a stumbling block for Tesla in the near term, but actually I think it indicates just how far ahead they are. After days of online abuse, Cummings deleted her Twitter account. But she went on to occupy the role. We reached out to Cummings for an interview, and she declined, citing government policy. Scott Rosenberg again. There's this thing called brigading online, and it basically happens when someone with a huge following gestures in the direction of an individual without explicitly saying, like, all of you people should go attack this person, but sort of giving permission for the crowd to act like a mob and to take things to extremes, whether that's looking up the person's street address, looking up their phone number, calling their phone number, showing up at their house, calling the police on their house, and so forth, where the original comment by a leader online gets translated into actual danger for the person being targeted. Musk doesn't just make jokes on Twitter. He uses the platform as a megaphone for his beliefs, even those that motivate his personal life. Musk has nine children. He says he's concerned that people aren't having enough babies and that it could lead to societal collapse. When news broke about him having twins with an executive at Neuralink, one of his own companies, Musk's response was, Doing my best to help the underpopulation crisis. His Twitter is like this weird comedy account that's, surprise, run by one of the most powerful men in the world. There's always a guy at a party who likes to tell jokes and who comes and tells jokes and everybody is kind of a little bit appalled, but deals with it and laughs politely. And then if that person at the party is like one of the richest people in the world, then maybe they actually laugh really heartily because they're trying to get in good with him in some way. This unfiltered persona on social media has called Musk's character into question, but it's also won him a lot of genuine fans. He met his on-again, off-again partner, the musician Grimes, through a joke he supposedly almost made on Twitter, but then realized she'd already made it. Musk will also regularly respond to Tesla customers and SpaceX fans with earnest messages about how hard he and his team are working to fix or deliver on something. This appearance of accessibility has earned him an enormous following of devoted defenders. Dan Primack again. Elon is very good at understanding his customers and getting them to be not just customers, but fans, fans of his companies and fans of him. Elon has an army of followers, all the kind of trolls who follow him under the bridge. Tesla has built this fan base and it's an absolute political asset. Laura Kolodny is a tech reporter for CNBC who focuses on Tesla. She's reported a lot of scoops on Tesla over the years, and she's seen how Musk's following rushes to his and Tesla's defense time and again, not just online, but in person. 
And it's where they say like, hey, Tesla fans and investors, if you own a Tesla, like you might be interested in these kind of legislative issues that are bubbling up locally. And they'll galvanize their fans. Hey, show up at City Hall for this thing or write a letter to your you know, representatives or something. And they have this absolute political asset in the fan base. If this sounds to you a lot like someone else, you're not the only one thinking that. So when you cover this beat for a while, a couple things come up. Comparisons to Elon include he's the tech Kardashian or the tech Trump. Both Trump and Musk were once major Democratic donors. Trump then became the Republican Party. And Musk evolved into a Republican and libertarian darling because of comments like this one. California's gone from the land of opportunity to, to the land of sort of taxes, uh, overregulation, and litigation. This is from his all-in podcast appearance in May of this year. If you, <laughs> if you, if you had a gun to Gavin's head, okay, um, and said, we need to build, start building this factory in California right now, he couldn't do it because there are so many uh, regulatory agencies um, and so many uh, litigators in California that want to stop you from doing anything that even if you're the governor of the, of the state, you cannot get it done. He also talked about his evolving views directly in that interview. I, I would class myself as a moderate, and you know, neither Republican nor, nor Democrat. Um, and in fact, uh, I have voted overwhelmingly for Democrats uh, historically, overwhelmingly. Like, I, I'm not sure, I, I might never have voted for a Republican, just to be clear. Right. Um, now, now, this election, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Back when Trump had access to Twitter, both Trump and Musk tweeted constantly. And they've shaped reality with those tweets. Trump by using Twitter to dictate policy as president, and Musk by setting his company's priorities and even changing their financial fates. At one point in August 2018, Musk tweeted, I'm considering taking Tesla private at $420. Funding secured. Wall Street was stunned. Tesla shares went haywire. They spiked and then crashed. Shares of Tesla, they're down since CEO Elon Musk tweeted that he wanted to take the company private. Why it was communicated in the way that it was communicated and what it really means. Frankly, I'm kind of flabbergasted by the whole thing. I realize we're in a new era. The SEC brought a charge of securities fraud against Musk, accusing him of making a series of false and misleading tweets that, quote, caused Tesla stock price to jump by over 6% and, quote, led to significant market disruption. They ultimately settled, and Musk and Tesla each had to pay $20 million in penalties. But Musk would neither admit to nor deny misleading investors. And that winter, he told 60 Minutes, I want to be clear, I do not respect the SEC. I do not respect them. But, but you're abiding by the settlement, aren't you? Because I respect the justice system. Here's how Musk reflected back on the settlement at the TED 2022 conference earlier this year. I was told by the banks that if I did not agree to, to settle with the SEC, that they would, the banks would cease providing working capital and Tesla would go bankrupt immediately. So that's like having a gun to your child's head. He hasn't only sent his own companies on roller coaster rides with his tweets. Like this past April, when he tweeted he wanted to buy Twitter. He's offering more than $40 billion to buy the company. He's offered $54 a share. But the question is, what's he going to do with it? Twitter, as a company, as a stock, has massively underperformed. That is not a secret. Musk's tweet 
offering to take Twitter private for $44 billion, priced the platform far above market value, and Twitter's share price jumped on the news. The tweet also made a splash in Musk's circles. Reid Hoffman. I read the tweet, and I think I had the reaction of most people. It was like, oh my God, another huge problem. He's already dealing with a large number. Other people close to Musk, who declined to speak to Axios on the record while the legal proceedings unfold, said they were concerned that with Twitter, even Musk might be biting off more than he could chew. After that was the thought of, well, you know, I was one of the people who thought you couldn't do both Tesla and SpaceX and clearly was wrong. And then started, you know, texting it out to various friends of mine saying, wow, this would change the world. What do you think the plan is? And including, you know, to Elon saying, okay, this is a big deal. The deal started moving ahead, but a month in, Musk announced it was on hold. And now there's an incredible amount of uncertainty about the future of Twitter because Musk seems to be trying to back out. A couple weeks after Musk tweeted that he wanted to buy Twitter, when the deal still seemed to be moving forward, Musk gave us another one of his signature jokes. Next, I'm buying Coca-Cola to put the cocaine back in. Everyone on Twitter, watching the Musk Twitter saga play out, was in on the joke. That's the most liked tweet of all time, 4.8 million likes. But that's part of Musk's problem with the platform. He thinks the number seems low, and that it suggests that many, many users are not actual people, but fake accounts called bots. Twitter says that the sort of monetizable daily active users is 217 million. So why would it be that the most popular tweet ever basically is only you know, two, two and a half percent of the entire user base. This, this seems a very, very low number. Now, his case for getting out of the merger agreement hinges on whether he can prove Twitter misled him about the number of real users versus fake accounts. Musk and Twitter are set to face off in court this fall over whether he'll be forced to go through with the merger. With the deal hanging in the balance, it's more important than ever to understand how he runs his companies, how he might change Twitter, and what his vision for free speech means for us all. We'll have more on all of this, on how it happened, Elon Musk versus Twitter. I'm Erica Pandy. Amy Padula is reporter-producer. Naomi Shaven is senior producer. This series was reported by the Axios Newsroom, including Dan Primack, Miriam Kramer, Joanne Muller, Javier E. David, Jonathan Swan, Sarah Fisher, Ina Freed, Hope King, and me. Fact-checking by Jacob Knudsen. Zach Basu is reading Elon Musk's tweets. Scott Rosenberg and Allison Snyder are series editors. Sarah Kehulani Gu is the editor-in-chief and executive producer. Mixing and sound design by Ben O'Brien. Music supervision by Alex Sugiara. Theme music and original score by Michael Hamp. Special thanks to Axios co-founders Mike Allen, Jim Vandehei, and Roy Schwartz. And thanks to Lucia Orejarena, Priyanka Vora, and Brian Wesley. If you're enjoying the season so far, please take a moment to rate and review the show. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 